What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. Um, got something a little different for you today. Just a, more of an, I don't know what you'd call it, information, sermon, possibly. I don't know, just a different take on something that is um, something that has become, at least in my eyes, a surprisingly controversial topic. And I don't really, I don't know, I guess I have some different ideas of why that may be. But uh, on the podcast today, we're talking about church membership and you know what that is, what that means. We'll delve into some different things about it. Why, but probably most importantly, is why it matters. Um, I read an article about the uh, Southern Baptist Convention recently. And the article talked about how the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention had been decreasing in size. And I don't know, the media seems to put forth a story of Christianity in Western culture that would match that, um, that it's shrinking. But I don't necessarily believe that. The two largest podcasts in the world right now are Bible podcasts, even bigger than Joe Rogan, which that kind of blew my mind. That guy gets like 300 million downloads a month or something like that, which is absolutely crazy. So I would say that when you hear that kind of thing about, oh, Christianity's dwindling, dying, whatever, yeah, I wouldn't be disheartened by that. There's a picture being painted there that I don't believe is necessarily aligned with what is true. And there are more Christians in the world today than there have ever been. And I speculate there are a couple of reasons for dwindling numbers among the Southern Baptist Convention. And I don't think that's just a denominational thing. It's happening there. It's probably happening everywhere. But, you know, I don't want to get into denominations today. That's a Pandora's box buried in a can of worms. The SBC uh, had a peak membership in 2006 of around 50,000 churches and over 16 million members. And that's that's a very large organization. Now, why would that Southern Baptist Convention be reporting dwindling numbers today? And I don't think that's ever one thing. It's always a combination of things, but what is the result of COVID? I think um, you guys might remember, remember my raft that my friend and I built when we were kids. I talked about a couple of weeks ago and things just, you know, how it drifted apart. And maybe that's kind of what happened during lockdowns. For And I know it did for some churches, uh, different stories for different churches in different places. Um, that is one thing, what happened during COVID, but it's, you know, it's, it's not the thing, but it is a thing. At the church where I pastor here at Hinton on uh, Gold Coast of Australia, we we fared well. Um, we did well here in Queensland during COVID. I know we don't talk about it that much anymore, but we our restrictions were pretty light. Um, the nice weather here, I suppose, it was just it just that virus didn't get a hold here like it did in other places. And uh, things went fairly well for us there overall. Um, so, but in, even still, I mean, we had some lockdowns. We went online for a while. It kind of uh, forced us into that, which ended up being a very good thing. Um, some us unnecessary things that the church drifted away, which was very positive, got rid of some stuff that didn't need to be here. 
And interestingly enough, coming out the other side of that commitment, generosity within the church actually increased for us. And I've heard that same story in a lot of different organizations, charities, um, churches as well. And now I think another possible reason for what the SBC is reporting is that those numbers are membership numbers and not attendance numbers. And it's possible for membership to go down while attendance goes up. And we're going to talk more about church membership, but I think those reports probably in some ways reflect that. And they also in that is reflected a generational view of church membership. Different age groups feel differently about formal church membership. Older people tend to assume it. Middle-aged people are tend to be more indifferent to it. And sometimes what I see is that some young, younger people are even balk at it. They're a little bit almost, I don't know if hostile is the right word, but they're not in favor of it. And of course, you know, I'm making blanket statements and those are never 100% true. I've talked to some other pastors about church attendance and membership and, you know, numbers and attendance and all those kinds of things. And there are many people who, when approached about church membership, just aren't that interested. They may still give to their church and participate in ministry to a degree, but joining the formal membership of a church is just not something that's on their radar. They're just not interested in it. Now, scripture gives us a lot of leeway in how we conduct ourselves as a church. Um, I'm sure the church that you are part of is different in many ways than the church I am part of and the way you you know handle business and things like that. Here at uh, Hinterland, where I am pastor, we do have a formal membership role. And on that membership role are people who have made the decision to join the church in that capacity as formal members. And you know we're going to talk more about what that means. And I'll say up front that I am a, a big advocate of the local church in the local community, a local group of believers gathered together for a purpose in their community. I love the church. I get out of sorts when people say negative things about my church or you know other local churches for that matter too. And I'm also an advocate of church membership in a local church for many reasons. Like I say, I think for older generations, membership uh, is much more likely to be a foregone conclusion. It's more of an assumption. It's something you just do. You attend for a while if you like the church and you're going to stay there while you, you join the church as a member. But again, I know I can't make blanket statements about that, but it's generally been my experience. Older generations were, and in some cases still are, especially here in Australia, uh, a lot more involved in social clubs. And that, that there seems to be less and less of that as time moves on. Obviously, a lot of that would have to do with just the amount of time that people have available to do anything. But to be part of a club, you join the club. And from the more middle-aged people, kind of like myself and people on maybe a little ways on either sides of my age, uh, the thinking seems to be more along the lines, you know, I really don't have time and it's not that important anyway. Church is a... Um, priority on a growing list of priorities. And sometimes it's at the top, sometimes it moves down the list. And that's how many people my age approach membership in a local church. And I was, I'm 
part of a social media group. Actually, I'm part of many social media groups, sometimes just to kind of keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on out there. But um, I'm not super active in them. Um, someone asked the group about joining a local church and if they should go through the membership course. And I said, yeah, do the course. Of course, do it. You know, it doesn't, I'm sure there's not any obligation there. And you'll find out what the church is about and see if you would be a good fit for the church and the church a good fit for you. And I was kind of surprised because I got roasted when I said that. And it seemed that people thought that at least a surprising amount of them thought that any kind of formal church membership was wrong. Or that if you just show up, you're a member of a church, there shouldn't be any requirements or courses and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, that's the case in a lot of churches, but that's not a good thing. That's a negative thing. But I found a tremendous amount of misunderstanding about church membership, membership classes, et cetera. And the amount of misunderstanding was alarming to me. And I think what's happened is that at one point, church membership was just understood. It's just what you did. Um, when I first got involved in church in my early 30s, it was just kind of like that. It's what you did. You joined the church, became a member of it. I went to seminary. Churches around where I went to school were like that as well. You just kind of joined the church, became a member of it. And when something has been something that you just do, uh, like it's just an assumption, it's a foregone conclusion. When something is like that for a long time, people forget the reasons as to why you started doing it in the first place. And it's kind of like marriage and culture today. Getting married, having kids is a good example of that. It's one of those things that, you know, we've just done for so long that people have kind of forgotten why marriage matters, why it's important. And people start asking, well, why does it matter? Why should I get married? Why can't I just live with a bunch of different people and have kids with random people? And and if you haven't thought that through, if someone asks, why is it important? It can be kind of difficult to answer that question because it's a, it's a very complex thing. There's a lot to that topic, um, but it does matter. You know, marriage is the foundation of culture. It's the foundation of civilized society. And as, as marriage crumbles, society will follow. So it is very important, but it's more challenging to articulate as to why that is. And church membership is kind of the same thing. Some people have done for a long time, it's been in the past, and then you know they kind of forget why they started doing it in the first place. Then people start to ask why does it matter, and that's you know something I'm not interested, something I'm not going to do. So today, I'm going to give you some reasons why church membership matters, and some practical application for it as well, at least in in the context in which I serve. Now, a few things to preface this because I think sometimes this is part of the confusion when it comes to church membership. Becoming a member of a church doesn't make you better or worse. It, it doesn't change your standing with the Lord. It doesn't have to do with your salvation. It's, uh, and it's, it's a decision that each individual needs to make uh, between themselves and the Lord. And I tell people, you know, I'm not going to wrestle you down and say either join the church or get out. That's not what I'm about. And I've reconciled myself to the fact that, you know, people don't see things the way I do. And there's always a space in church where there are people who are in attendance, even involved in some way, who are not part of the formal membership for the church. 
especially in a church that's active, there's always going to be that place within church where there's people drifting in and out. There's a, there's a flux there of people who are not formal members, but they may be in attendance, maybe even for a while. And yeah, like I said, I've reconciled myself with that and that's the way it is. And I'm okay with that. In my first official ministry position, I was in a church uh, with someone who'd been attending for a very long time, several decades, but had never taken the step of becoming a church member. And when I talk about formal membership, I'm referring to people who have, at least in our church, met the requirements of that membership and gone through the process of becoming a church member. Now, there are only two basic requirements to become a member of a church to apply for membership. And I think these would probably be held uh, broadly among churches. And that's salvation and baptism. You need to know Jesus as your savior and you need to be a baptized believer. And those are the basic requirements. Now, what we do where I am is from there, we ask someone to attend the church for at least six months before they apply for membership that helps everyone get to know each other and see that we're on the same page. And then we, you know, because I I found that some people can come in kind of hard and fast and they're excited and they get wrapped up and then they decide, oh, this isn't for me or whatever. And I think it's just better if we take that time up front to kind of feel things out. And then once they've done that, we ask membership candidates to go through our membership orientation course, um, which is, it's just four simple parts for us with some questions to be answered at the end of each session. Uh, It's online, so people can do it at their leisure. And once they've done that, um, there is an interview with a member of our church leadership. We ask for references from previous churches. If someone's been a part of the church, of a different church in the past, you know, if they're not a new believer and just we've baptized them, we ask them to, you know, hey, what's going on at your past churches? And most of the time, that's just fine, you know, and they get, people get great references and things like that. But occasionally, you know, the, one of the problems in church is there are those people who are church hoppers and they're problem causers and they just keep doing that and they never get called out on it. And that's part of the reason we do what we do. Because if I contact a, you know, a previous church and they're like, hey, you know, yeah, they, they were kind of a problem here. They did a lot of stuff and left things in shambles and then made a run for it. And I would tell someone like that, you know, you need to go back and reconcile with that previous church and sort that out before you can become a member here. And we do check those references. But that's, you know, normally everything's just fine. People move into the area, whatever it might be. But once that's complete, uh, we bring membership candidates before the church as a whole and the church votes to accept the person as a member. And at that point, it's really just, you know, it's not so much a yes or no vote. It is a matter of raising hands to show the, the candidate for membership that we welcome them into our church as, as a formal member. And now that process may be surprising for some. I know it's, it's a bit more than what other churches do. Usually it's often just, yeah, hey, you're a member now or whatever. And it's, it's overly simple and it really doesn't have any value, in my opinion. But here where I pastor, we put some value on church membership and we want it to be valuable to those who make application for it. In some cases, church membership doesn't hold any value. And I think that's a shame, but that's not the case here uh, where we are. 
And that's, that's the process we go through and every church would be different. Um, some don't have any kind of process at all, but that's their business. And I think that the great majority of Christians would agree that being a part of church is important. I've, I've met a few over the years that think otherwise, but they are wrong. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. There are some believers like that. And, you know, I pray for believers like that. I know we have several in our community. I connect with them online as I'm able and things like that. But I want to see people plugged into a local church for multiple reasons. Because it's not healthy to be running around out there on your own. And it's important to be involved with a local church. Now, and being a member of a church is much more than just like joining a social club. There's more to it than that. It's a very complex relationship of spiritual encouragement, of spiritual accountability, in which we partner together to obey Jesus and advance the gospel in our community and around the world. And it's a commitment to stand together in those things. And that relationship is the one that we share with the people we fellowship with regularly as part of the same local assembly, wherever you might be a member at, which is what church is, a local assembly called out for a purpose. That's what the word means in the original language. Church is translated from the word ecclesia. And it's it's simply a, a assembly that's been called out for a purpose. And membership in that assembly assembly is a way in which each member shows they have intentionally committed to each other. And the membership is committed to the individual. And they're working together towards the same purpose. And there are practical and biblical reasons for church membership. And I think you'll find a lot of crossover between the two. Now, here's the very challenging part is when we read the New Testament, we won't find specific statements directly about formal membership. You could say um, it's not necessarily an unbiblical thing. That may be an extra biblical thing. Some people might say it's unbiblical, but you know, so are air conditioners and buildings and things like that. But they, even though the New Testament doesn't specifically mention formal church membership, I do, however, believe it is very much implied. I also believe there are scenarios we see in scripture and even commands that can't be handled properly without a recognized church membership. And one of the most, one of the both pragmatic and biblical reasons for church membership is church government. Um, and that's, you know, it, it's an important one. It's up there on the list. The Bible isn't super specific about church government besides being led by pastors and elders. Um, that really falls into the time, the context that your church is working in. I really wish the apostle Paul had written out a set of flawless church bylaws or church constitution or something like that. But the reality is, is that he didn't do that. And it's, it's, there's wisdom in the fact that he did not. The Bible gives us a tremendous amount of leeway in how we operate. And that's by design, considering every culture, historical period has different requirements, just even simply, you know, how you buy and sell property, all those business things that a church needs to do in a community. Um, <coughs> excuse me. We have a church constitution at our church that lays out how we function as a church at Henderland Baptist Church. And I once had someone who was convinced that the, the Bible was the only constitution we needed. 
And, you know, I understand the sentiment. It, it sounds nice. And some may ask the question, why do you need a church constitution? Why do you need bylaws or however your church decides to um, form their government? You know, why do you, why do you even need to do that? Now, I mean, the church is elder led and I suppose that's, you know, about as far as you get in uh, scripture, uh, deacon served. And I suppose if we only met under a tree in the park and did nothing else, you know, never bought property, never had a power bill or anything like that, that would probably work. You probably could get away with that. But if we want to buy or sell or own property, put up a sign or work with different organizations, um, organize ourselves in any way, um, tax reasons, all that stuff, we have to sort out how all that's going to work. And the Bible doesn't tell us how to do that. So, we have a constitution helps us operate within our culture, cultural context, our time and within the law and all that kind of stuff. So that's, yeah, that's why we have a constitution. Um, each year in our church, we have a, a formal church meeting, an annual meeting. It happens around the end of November, beginning of December. Um, and it's pretty non-dramatic. It, it takes about 10 minutes, man. I, I know some people are drama queens, but church meetings are not a place for that. That That's, uh, yeah, it's a good place for troublemakers to cause trouble, but um, we definitely avoid that. That's There should be non-dramatic. The church meetings should be very boring, actually. Um, but there are a few things that require the vote of the church at our church. In our constitution defines those. And this is actually what it says. I copied and pasted this out. It says the church shall vote on a yearly budget, elected church positions, elder candidates, deacon candidates, financial matters not covered by the annual budget, and updates, amendments, or changes to the constitution. And the section on membership states that the church also votes to accept new members. Now, there's a couple of things that that does. One of those is that it provides accountability to leadership. And myself and our leadership team can't just decide out of the blue that we want to change the constitution. There's a process for that and any changes require a vote of the church. Um, adopting a budget for the next year requires the vote of the church. And in general, We've worked pretty hard on this, but we've tried to set it up so that the church votes on matters that obligate the entire church to something. A church budget, for instance, is something that obligates the entire church, the spending that goes on. And it's not just about approving spending for the next year. It's also about what we will give to fund that budget. And I think that's good for people to understand when they, you know, if they're going to vote on a church budget. And when you do... Uh, you are saying, yep, I'm going to do my part to fund that budget. I'm just not, you know, oh, it's okay. You can go spend money. That's not what it's about. But voting is one of the pragmatic reasons for church membership. If a church congregation is going to be included in church government in some way, there, there has to be some form of formalized membership. Otherwise, you know, there's no way to determine who gets to vote. Now, another reason uh, we maintain a formal membership is because it promotes mutual accountability. And there are a few different areas involved in that as well. One is what I've already mentioned a little bit, and that's leadership accountability. Leadership 
is accountable to the church as a whole, not in individuals within the church, but to the whole church. Um, we went through the process of updating our constitution a couple of years ago. We were desperately in need. Um, our constitution was basically just a copy and paste from one that had been written probably 150 years ago in another country. And it just, you know, it was just didn't work for us. It wasn't working for us. It was extremely outdated. And so we changed it. And we changed a, a tremendous amount of things about it. Well, there were some things, you know, that stayed the same and basic, but um, I think we kept with the, the spirit of some of the original intention, but at the same time, we just updated it to make it usable in our context and in our culture as well, because it was actually written in a different culture. And one of my many goals in going through that process was to put the responsibility of matters that obligate the church as a whole on the church. But at the same time, give the leadership the freedom to do ministry and encourage others in ministry and set people free to do ministry. Um, sometimes churches can really um, hurt themselves by just too much red tape. And I've seen that a lot in a lot of different churches where they just have to vote on everything and it's ridiculous. Now, another reason for church membership is the accountability of the congregation to the leadership. Um, no one would argue that the Bible is very clear about submitting to the authority of church leadership, but that biblical mandate doesn't apply to anyone who chooses to designate themselves as an elder or pastor. Um, that self-proclaimed apostolic prophetic elder of the internet idiot is you know, not someone that the average Christian needs to support them or uh, submit themselves to, obviously. But the membership is obligated to follow the leadership, even though the leadership's also part of the membership, but the membership has to choose to do that, to follow that leadership. When a church votes on leadership, it obligates itself to follow that leadership. And personally, I hold people to that. I'm an advocate of the local church and Christians being engaged is part of it. And I'm also an advocate of pastoral authority. I really am. And I think pastors need to exercise that. They need to lead. That's how they serve the church. And many people wouldn't know this because pastors are good at hiding it, but there's a lot of miserable pastors out there. And there are you know, different reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes not leading courageously. They fear the disorderly sheep and the wolves more than they fear the Lord. And I know because I've been there in the past, I've, I've put myself through some unnecessarily difficult times just because I didn't stand up and lead like, God has called me to do. When a pastor doesn't lead courageously, um, the sheep will wander and the wolves will run amok amongst the flock. That's just what happens. And at the same time, the pastor leads with a servant's attitude. In our church, the, the pastoral office is my position of service. That's how I serve the church. I serve the church in that capacity and the church gives way to my leadership. Now, pastoral authority comes through mutual submission. But when we talk about pastoral authority, I'm, I'm going to read a couple of verses for you about it. It doesn't say, okay, pastor, go and coerce people into submission, wrestle them down, make them do it. That's not what it says. It tells the congregation the, to submit themselves to the authority. They make the choice to do that because that's the only way it's going to work. 
a couple of verses. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 say, we ask you brothers to acknowledge those who labor among you and are appointed over you in the Lord and instruct you, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not complaining for that would not be profitable to you. Now, a church's willingness to follow the pastor's leadership, if that doesn't exist, then there is no leadership. You know, I I tell you as a pastor, I don't have time to try to coerce people into anything, nor do I want to. The church chooses to follow. Um, And I should do my best to be a pastor who makes following church leadership a joy. And, you know, I, I'm trying, I'm getting better. I'm working on it. I know I've been difficult in the past, but I'm, I'm doing better all the time. And church members should be working to be members who make leading a joy. And I kind of like to be like this. The church members give the pastor an invitation to lead and the pastor extends an invitation to follow. And we both accept that invitation. And if we submit ourselves to God and then each other in that way, it, uh, church will be great. It'll, it'll work very well. And everyone's mutually accountable and responsible for that. And, you know, in, in my case, someone might say, well, <clears throat> I wasn't here when the church made you pastor. And I've been at this church for a while now. And I don't like you and I don't want to follow you. Um, it might be, you know, that might be the case sometimes. And to someone like that, I would say, okay, well, that's, you know, that's fine. Then find another church find a place where you can be comfortable, find a place that you can work with, you can settle in and you can get along with the pastor and submit yourself to his leadership. Because if you're not willing to do that, we're going to have a struggle. But, you know, it might be better to turn that around and state that in a positive way. And instead, let's say, you know, I like you. Uh, you, I want you to be my pastor. Maybe you feel that way about a pastor. I like this big guy. I want him to be my pastor and I want to follow his leadership. And in becoming a member of a church, you actually make that official. And of course, church leaders, um, church members, Christians in general, you know, we extend our love to anyone and everyone within the limits of our ability. And the things we're talking about, that they don't negate that. I don't want people to feel like, you know, the pastoral care, things like that are only for those on the formal membership role. That's not the case. Um, here's another reason for church membership. That's and well, and this one's not very nice to talk about, but it's, it is very important. This one has been nearly forgotten, but forgetting it leads to a church becoming impotent. And that is church discipline. I've been through this several times um, over the years, um, a couple times as church member, a few times as pastor. Church discipline. Jesus and Paul both talk about conflict resolution, dealing with sin in the church and removing those from church who are unrepentant. And I'm not going to cover the verses and the topic of church discipline because we're not talking about church discipline, but church membership and and why those two relate. There's a process by which a church deals with conflict and public sin, unrepentant sin within the church context. There's a process of church discipline. And if a church is in the unfortunate position of having to take up the responsibility of 
implementing that process, you know, and if, if all else fails, it has to go all the way to the entire church and the offenders put outside the church or excluded, as Paul talks about. There needs to be an understood membership to know who's going to take part in that process because exclusion presupposes inclusion. You can't be removed from a group you're not a member of. I mean, that's just common sense. And to follow the biblical principles of church discipline requires a membership at a local church. I don't, I don't see how there's any way around that. Now, fortunately, church discipline isn't something that comes up very often. Um, I, I hate it when it does, but I do follow through on it if it does. And it's very rarely the case that it has to be brought before an entire church and a vote taken to exclude someone from membership. Um, and there are really only two reasons to go through that process. One is unrepentant sin. The other is teaching gross heresy. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, disagreements on, on smaller issues, but I'm talking about, you know, like preaching another gospel, things like that. Um, or just being in like contradictory to the church's doctrinal statement. And as a pastor, I've gone through the process of church discipline three different times. Um, a couple of times people were wrapped up in sin and they should have known better, but I knew about it. So, and you know, but so did a few other people. So I had to go talk to them. And some of the, you know, the, the people, I've had two cases where I went to the people that were actually quite happy that I had come and spoken to them. They're like, man, I knew that was wrong. Shouldn't have been doing that. I'm glad you came and we're going to change. And, you know, everything sorted out and everything was great. And there was one other time someone told me, you know, I, I, I know, but I don't care is basically what they said. So we had to go through the whole process and actually take them off the church role. But if someone is not a member of church or is, just passing through or visiting, whatever. There's no no accountability there. And, you know, there's nothing you can or should do for that matter. Um, Paul talked about the fact that the church has no business judging people who are outside of the membership. And in a way, I find that kind of positive. In the way that we do church, where, you know, our church service is actually for most churches is a part of your outreach. You know, you try to invite people, you try to welcome them, things like that. And I've actually found peace in that, you know, I'm not worried about judging people outside of the membership. Um, someone can visit, hang out, engage with the church, even if they're, you know, living an immoral life, they're engaged in some sin, whatever it might be. I don't really have to worry about that at that point. It's not like we have to have an interview with everybody who walks through the door, whether or not they can attend or anything silly like that. You know, maybe someone visiting is new to Christianity or they're exploring what it's about, but they're, you know, they've got some things going on in their life that wouldn't be appropriate for a member of the church. Because Paul says judging people outside of the membership is not something we need to concern ourselves with, you can at least, you know, kind of partly relax and be comfortable conversing, making people feel welcome, who may not be living a godly life. And that's okay. You know, we don't have to run that person through some kind of process of church discipline because they're not a member. Um, if they hear God's word, they feel welcome over a period of time, chances are that's all going to be sorted anyway. And then if at some point they want to take the sub step of submitting themselves to church membership, if needs be, we can talk about it then. You know, that's part of our process. And a matter of fact, one of our questions on our um, uh, questionnaire for 
people who are applying for church membership. Is is there any, you know, unrepentant sin in your life? Is there anything you're dealing with? And, you know, the reason we ask for that is not so much to make accusations, but maybe we can help someone through that. And it doesn't necessarily keep him from membership either, but maybe something that needs to be sorted out first. And we just chat about it and see where people are at. Um, but before someone's a member, it's not really something that we need to concern ourselves with. And Paul brings up judging for that reason. Um, Evidently, some of the believers at Corinth were avoiding contact with immoral unbelievers, and Paul addresses their misunderstanding by reminding them that the church's judgment was aimed only at people inside the church. Um, And to do that, I mean, there has to be some kind of delineation between uh, who is part of the church and who's not, which is the way we define that as membership. Two more brief reasons why... Uh, church membership is important and we'll wrap up for today. And those two are transformation and commitment. We want to be biblical people. And I'm sure you want to, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably want to be a, a, a follower, a good follower of Jesus, good soil. You want to be a good Christian, all that kind of stuff. And, but even if not, maybe if you're just exploring that, and I hope you find it interesting nonetheless. But two reasons for church membership, transformation, and commitment. When we commit to submit ourselves to membership, we commit to be held accountable to that and to help others do the same. It's not that people can't experience growth on their own or fellowship with other Christians, etc. But it's different when you've made the decision to commit to membership. You've, you've you know made your commitment to a local congregation. And it's different when you do that. And I've mentioned that I've been praying for, you know, lost sheep in our community, those Lone Ranger Christians out there wandering around doing things on their own. You know, and and one thing about being a Lone Ranger Christian is I've never done it, but I'm sure it's fun. You know, there's no accountability in that. You don't really have to think through what you're doing. Nobody's going to call you up on what you're saying. Your beliefs can be anything you want them to be, good, bad, terrible, or otherwise. And frankly, usually they're terrible um, when someone's living like that. But so there's the the accountability of belief too, and just the the challenges and the friction of you know iron sharpening iron, which is a good thing. That's all good stuff. The world, and not just the world, but Satan, the enemy, wants to convince us to he wants to convince everybody this to buy into the world's philosophy that independence and autonomy are the images to whom you should be shaped and the altar at which you should worship. And we've recently, you know, in culture, good grief, this is all over the place. We've heard a lot from the secular world about how authority, accountability, institutions are inherently evil. Um, you shouldn't submit to any authority or institution in any way or support them because they are evil. And then you add to that cultural mindset, the consumer mindset, that everything's about me, I should get what I want instead of serving and worshiping the Lord. And you ball those things up together and you get a lie straight from the pit of hell that really has a tremendous effect on people. The church should be a place where you know that when your life starts to fall apart and everything's going horribly wrong, a group of believers will surround you, support you in prayer and walk with you through your worst and darkest times. And church membership is a way of saying, I'm going to be that 
for you. I'm going to do that for you. And, you know, I know you you would already know this, but it's also a place where you can be around like-minded people, like-minded Christians, where you think the same things, you can talk about the same things, you can kind of relax, you know, let your guard down and just, you know, talk about the Bible without maybe getting your head bit off. And I know for some people, and I know this is the case at our church, the only time that they get to do that during the entire week is when they come to church. And in a world that is post, post-modernism, where truth is often thought of as relative and whatever you want it to be, and you can define things however you like, you know, in our church, here we stand together saying the word of God is truth. We believe that, we affirm that, we affirm that Jesus is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. And we are united in that and committed to each other. And we are committed to living in obedience to Jesus. And we do that together. And it is a commitment that we make in church membership. Well, I hope that helps um, maybe uh, to answer some questions about church membership, clear up what it's about, at least where we are. And like I say, every church is going to be a little bit different. Maybe in some cases a lot different, but where we are, we put value on it. And church membership, it does matter. And thank you for taking the time to listen in. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 